0: Why don't we just start with your name?
1: He shit.
0: Hey, listen to me. You can't survive on your own. No one can. But I can help you. Let me protect you.
1: I'm not on my own.
0: Right, your friends. And how is he? Hello everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be recapping Season 1, Episode 8 of The Last of Us, When We Are In Need. You can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at TV. Christian Spicer, one of my favorite things about this podcast is that we have a really engaged audience uh, yes. around the show. And I would say we received several dozen emails last week uh, protesting about my nonsensical views on the politics of the show. And I well, have to say <laughs> – I would ahead.
1: just say well-written and reasoned. It wasn't just like, boo, day, you know? Like no, and no, also no, no. They, they, they picked that, apart a lot of what we said.
0: I liked it. Not only that, they were quite uh, polite overall. Like everyone yeah. was very respectful. And so I want to say thank you to everyone who wrote in and kind of um, called me out on a, uh, a a difficult reading that I had of uh, some of the events of last week's episode. So thank you, everyone. I, re- I genuinely appreciate it. You know, Christian, I, I say this a lot on one of my other podcasts, but like when people stop correcting you for stuff, it's actually a really bad sign. Because it means either no one's listening or they don't care that you didn't get it right. And so I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate people correcting us and me specifically in this case. Or it um, just means I hired uh, 40 people to write you emails this past week.
1: Um, yeah. So, it's one of those things.
0: <laughs> you know, one, one of the things I, I will say is that uh, somebody um, gently pointed out that it's possible I am letting my perspective on the second game Mm. into my perspective on the last of us season one, HBO television show. And I think that's true. And, uh, I'm sorry about that because that's our golden rule here is we try not to factor in stuff from future episodes or the game. Um, but I do think that that that's probably part of why I read things the way I read them, but I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to keep life out of your interpretation
1: of art. Um, For anybody, right? And so, like that second game, for better or worse, (laughs) is part
0: of your life's experience. Mm -hmm. So I think it is going to color your lens. But I
1: I hear what you're saying.
0: To recap, uh, I was saying that you know something I said last week is that um, the show's politics have been a little bit muddled. Because, and, and by the way, I I'm not even the person that's come out the harshest on the show's politics. You know, like I thought I was kind of like being a little bit more of a neutral observer, but. Um, in particular, you know, the, the way the show has depicted people going up against Fedra, people like, um, I think I read an article at the cider that was very, uh, harsh on episode, I want to say five. Um, but something I said was like, this is showing that Fedra episode seven is showing that Fedra is that can actually be a positive force. And pretty much everyone disagreed with my reading of that. Um, and that is characterized by this comment over at DecodingTV.com from Homstrom, who writes, quote, is the show really presenting a centrist viewpoint? As David points out, we've seen Fedra do some terrible stuff, but does the show really believe they're keeping the, they're the thin blue line keeping order? The person who said that was a Fedra officer at a military school trying to convince a student to rise in the ranks. Of course, he believes the fascists are good. He is one. And his argument was, to me, obviously pretty awful. Either fall in line and be a captain with warm lodging, good food, etc. Or be a grunt and live in the cold with shit food to most likely get killed by a firefly. Fedra clearly comes off as bad to me here. Ellie is presented a devil's bargain. Sell your soul and live in comfort. As an audience member, I was pretty grossed up by the scene and I think that was intentional. Ellie is drawn towards the offer because she's a kid and still early in her arc. Not to mention that she's been indoctrinated with that Fedra mentality her entire life. She's just at the age where she's beginning to question things she's been to- told growing up. Anything positive about Fedra is either said by someone in the organization or comes off as misinformed slash proven wrong. We know uh, from all the previous episodes that Ellie's no longer part of FedRA and working for the Fireflies like pretty much every character we follow. Uh, and that's not to say the Fireflies are definitely good. We hardly know anything about them, but we can be sure that Fedra is definitely bad. The show does show bad people on both sides, but I don't really see it as both sides are good and bad. More commentary on how important individual leaders are. They do a lot of tell, don't show, unfortunately. But Kansas City was seemingly on the way towards um, as much of a peaceful takeover as possible until the Jesus-like leader was killed. When he's replaced by someone full of rage and vengeance, well, we saw how that went. To me, that's not saying the cops are really good. It's saying you need people, uh, good people in positions of leadership, end quote. That's a pretty good summary of a lot of the objections to what I said last week. And uh, I I think it's a very valid reading, probably the best reading. Um, I think the only thing I will say, not even in my defense, because there is no defending me to be done, but I think that you know, something that you've said, Christian, on the show and that I agree with is um, I wish we kind of saw and understood a little bit more about how Fedra works, right? Um, like, is is Captain Kwong just completely wrong, like 100% delusional? There's nothing good that Fedra does. Is he 40% right? You know, like, I wish I had some sense of how right Captain Kwong was. And I think um, some of the issues I've been reading around the show have been with how the show does feel a little bit rushed, uh, because we're introduced to people, we're introduced to concepts, um, and then we're we're shown like a very exaggerated version of those things. Um, and so, I do wish there was a little bit more time to spend with these characters and institutions to understand the nuance. Um, but I think that 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 Armstrong's view is totally a, a, a great perspective, and um, I think it is the correct perspective insofar as they in one. It is one to read onto the show's politics. So. Uh, You got me, folks. Uh, That's my mea culpa. And sorry for the bad reading of that scene with Captain Quang. Uh, Any other thoughts before we move on from this, Christian?
1: I was going to say, I I think uh, to kind of reiterate or expand on my point, I think it, it, for me, highlights an incredible show, and an incredible world where the show is clearly telling its story. But I find the world so fascinating and so rich that I want to learn more about it. It was like the original Star Wars trilogy as a kid, where you know there's all this other stuff going on. You know that there's the evil empire, you know there's the rebels, but there's also like an odd government on Tatooine that doesn't seem to be part of those. And I was fascinated by that as a kid. Like, what? how is this place running? What are smugglers doing? What system do they operate within? There's clearly some code of honor here, and there's the huts and all that stuff, and The movies aren't about that. You know, it's not about a deep dive into how the Hut system works (laughs) throughout, you know, the galaxy. And I think the same thing is true here in The Last of Us, where this show is not about the internal operations of Fedra. But I'm so fascinated by it because I think they've completed or completed. They've created a pretty dang complete world. So every time I see something that I'm interested in, I want to keep scratching at it. You know, I want to peel back the curtain and I want to see how it operates. And I want to see how do the fireflies communicate across this vast distance? Are they using radio towers? Are those being intercepted? Uh, Is there a bounty hunter in this world who's out killing aggressive hunt? You know, there's so much in this world that I want to keep learning about. Um, And I think that just for
0: me illustrates how awesome of a world
1: that the um, creators have built.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, thanks for all the corrections. Uh, folks, really appreciate you writing in at decodingtv at gmail.com as well as commenting at decodingtv.com. Uh, speaking of telling and not showing or showing and not telling, uh, several people pointed out that last week, you know, I think you and I joked around a little bit about how did Ellie get Joel into that basement? Um, how did Ellie get Joel into the house? Many people pointed out that. Using visual cues and storytelling markers, it's very obvious that Ellie got Joel onto a mattress and dragged Joel to that house. Um, or in the sleeping bag or something. Yeah, yeah, sleeping bag or something. They don't say what it is, um, but they show. I, I believe they show a mattress, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway...
1: Uh they show a group of balloons tied to a house and you saw the <laughs> house float. It's very clear. It's very, no yes. it is. It is. Yes. You, you they definitely show like drag marks and blood. You see the Correct. horse in the garage and
0: yeah. you know I I still have questions about how Ellie got him all the way down there, but whatever. Like I think it I it wasn't like a serious nitpick. It's just it, this is a thing that um movies and TV shows cheat all the time. I remember watching like Saw 2. And like, there's a scene, I was watching the making of Saw 2, Christian Spicer, because <laughs> this is how hardcore into the Saw series I am. And like watching the making of Saw 2 and like, there's a scene where I think it, the character is Amanda needs to pick up a an unconscious body and put it into a bathtub. And they're like going through how she's going to do the motions on camera. And uh, the director's like, oh, well, you obviously can't lift this guy because he weighs like 50 pounds heavier than you. So we're going to cheat it. We're going to show you lifting his leg up And then we're going to show you, then we're going to cut to, he's already in the bathtub and we're going to show you putting his leg down. And that was one of the first times when I realized kind of like, oh, how much like of this kind of cheating goes down where like physically, people do physically impossible things, but like the camera like cuts around it. And I always think it's fascinating, you know, how they do it. And in this case, I thought it was pretty, pretty solid, but um, I do think it is still a little bit of a cheat, but. People have their own opinion on it. I do appreciate people calling us out on like, uh, the show did have an in-universe explanation for how it happened. So I would want to acknowledge that. But speaking of in-universe explanations, there's been a lot of conversation about what happened to Riley at the end of last week's episode, right? Um, And some speculation as to uh, some some people wrote into decoding TV at gmail.com. I've also seen commentary online. Did Ellie kill Riley? Um, uh, So let's talk about what we know About what Ellie has said about her experiences I actually got a clip This is in episode 2 She talks about how she first got bit I didn't know last time How did you get bit? You know the old mall in the QZ? The one that's sealed off and boarded up And no one's supposed to go in Ever, that one
1: Whatever, I snuck in Wanted to see what it was like didn't think there was going to be anything in there. And then one just came at me out of nowhere. thought
0: I got away, but. So it was just you in there alone? Yeah. So she describes what happened uh, while omitting Riley completely from that story. In episode four, uh, Joel expresses remorse that he had to uh, rely on Ellie to kill the guy that was going to kill uh, Joel. Um, and Ellie reveals that it's not the first time she's done something like that. Now, some people interpreted that to mean maybe she killed Riley. However, in the Riley episode, Riley and her kill an infected. And it's very probable that that's what she was referring to, right? In that episode, when she said she had to kill someone before. Um, so I think that what we are meant to take away is nothing about what happened to Riley. What I mean by that is like, you need to make up for yourself what happened to Riley. Cause I don't think the show gives you enough data to come to a conclusion one way or the other. And I think it's just something you're supposed to imagine. Um, and I think Bella Ramsey has talked about this a little bit as well, that it's kind of like, um, I-, I don't know that there was a definitive thing that took place after the events we saw depicted in the last episode. Christian Spicer, what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, we're given some breadcrumbs, I think, to lead to a very plausible explanation or thought that she had to kill Riley. Riley's gun is there. Ellie talks about being familiar with guns, you know, through FEDRA training, she says at one point. But we also from that clip also, man, you're breaking hearts playing Tess audio in the middle of an episode, Dave. I wasn't ready to. Uh,
0: I know, have, man. I was, like, I, I was playing it. I was like, oh, man, I so miss Anna Torov in the show. You know, she's, she's so good. So very good.
1: Um, but so in that clip, Ellie is lying to them. And so, you know, for all we know, she lied about her experience with guns before, but I, I like stories like this, right? This, this to me, isn't, does the top fall over at the end of a movie? Um, you know, th- this isn't the, the cliffhanger ending that's meant to be left open. Again, I think the story that this, um, season is telling doesn't hinge on what happened there, but I think it is an important part of Ellie's emotional growth and journey and I kind of like that moment at least so far in the show being up for debate or speculation but I think certainly there are clues that she might have had to put um an infected Riley down and I think either way Well, well what what, I, what is
0: your headcanon explanation of how it went down you know like do you do you have something in your mind so you agree with me I think that the show is not conclusive about it at this point
1: Yes, and that, I think yeah. intention, I think intentionally yes, so. Agreed, agreed. Um my if I just had to speculate on the character of Ellie in that moment in the TV show, I think she would have stayed there until Riley turned and then if Riley violently attacked her, I think Ellie would have put her down. Mm. Wow. but I also think that if fireflies showed up in the mall to pick up the bombs and there was some other, you know what I mean? I think there's room for other conflict to have happened. When did Ellie get captured by the
0: fireflies? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, uh, I don't, the, the, the performance that I'm seeing of Bella Ramsey as Ellie is not somebody who had to murder their best friend. Um, fair in my, in my opinion. And maybe she kind of watched like waited until Riley turned, had a tearful goodbye and then fled. That's kind of my, how I would interpret it. But Hey, that's the beauty of the show is we can all all have different interpretations. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, Christian. Did you have anything else to say about this topic? No, no. I think there's just a time.
1: You know, there's potential for room between seeing Ellie there and when we later see her um, captured by Marlene and the fireflies where maybe she killed someone in that span. Like, I don't know how many days or hours happened between those moments, but there's unaddressed time in the show there as well.
0: Last thing I want to point out is I think in last week's episode, I remarked on how the show hasn't done a particularly thorough job of explaining how to put down infected. Like how do you kill infected? And we got a few people writing in like explaining the rules to me about like what, you know, how to kill infected. You know, um, I don't know that that changed my point that the show I don't think the show has done a particularly good job of it. Um, But I think that the show hasn't had to do a very good job of it. In my opinion, Christian, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on like, how it is you actually kill infected and, and how well the show has told that story.
1: Well, I want to plant a flag here for a bonus content. So Dave, you and I can talk about this later, um, as as we open up the door to full spoilers, perhaps, and things perhaps in, in the game. Uh, but also I also want to open the conversation to our audience about in general the idea of of killing something like this, where I saw some excellent comments about, well, the host needs to remain alive and this, that, and the other. But I don't think the infected in this world need sustenance. I don't think they're eating or drinking. And I think that would be required to keep a human host body alive, even with fungus growing on it. I'm also not aware, I don't know the lifespan and real life of ants that are infected, like how that works, if that ant needs to keep, or if it just kind of slowly starves to death as this fungus takes over its its brain and controls it. I don't know the answer to that. I did not look it up. but I, I feel like. I like the idea of kill the host, you drop the thing. And so it's, and, and I like people wrote in about like, oh, the fungus creates armor. There, There's real life mushrooms that are, Um there was talk about mushrooms being used to replace plastics and it's like the different layers of this certain type of mushroom where it's like a really hard bark, then a softer interior, then another hard layer in the middle of that. And I could see how chipping away through something like that would be difficult and make it harder to get a headshot or cut off a leg. So I like that idea. And and frankly, Dave, I don't think I need much more than that. But I'm curious if this is still something that, you know, kind of rubs you the wrong way a little bit or you want more explanation.
0: No, it doesn't I don't know that it rubs you the wrong way. It's just more like I think. You know I'm watching the show with my wife, and she's like very confused. she's like, what how do you kill infected again?" you know she's um there's a lot of things about the rules of the infected that I don't think have been reiterated very much in uh, f- for a show of this kind um, but I think the consensus seems to be Christian. you basically kill them like you would kill a normal human, right like that's kind of what i what I understand of which headshots is like one of the the easier ways to do that um but yeah. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't run me the wrong way. It's just kind of like an interesting decision. Um, and I think the show is really trying to rely on showing, not telling in some things. And this is probably one of them. So I want to say a thank you to everyone who wrote into decoding TV at gmail.com and also all of our paid subscribers and commenters at decodingtv.com. Um, in particular, it's the people who signed up for subscription at decodingtv.com that are helping to. Keep this podcast going. We have a lot of exciting things on the way. Uh, our next big show is going to be um, Succession, and so uh, we'll be covering that in the weeks to come. And and there's going to be hopefully much more. And it's all because of people who signed up for a paid subscription at DecodingTV.com. So a big thank you from me to you. Um, really appreciate your support, Christian. Let's dive into some overall thoughts on this week's episode. Now, as usual, we will not spoil anything from future weeks' episodes. Anything of the next time on preview, but today we're going to be spoiling everything through season one, episode eight, when we are in need. Christian, overall thoughts on this episode.
1: I think I used a baseball analogy once that, you know, episode three was setting the home run record and then uh, other episodes were like still having a really good year, but not quite setting the home run record. This episode, for me, I think ties a home run record. It is different in emotion than episode three and Bill and Frank's saga, certainly. But I really loved this episode. I loved it for, I think, how it kind of brought... Hmm, it, not We talked about the sniper scene before. It's like kind of bringing elements from the video game to the big screen. And I think this did an excellent job of that, of portraying video game ness but doing it in a very mature grown up grounded way and again without overly winking at it and i thought i'm going to say it i think every episode i think bella ramsey was fantastic in this episode seeing her kind of waffle between afraid confident uh, when she's a caged animal and you know figuring out what her best actions are and i also thought um, scott shepherd as david was
0: just
1: just phenomenal, like so creepy and at times comforting and trying to play this this father figure. I thought this episode was super strong, and for a show where I've loved Pedro and everything he's done, to have him literally be off screen for 90% of the episode, I think speaks volume to the quality of the cast and the supporting cast and everyone else on the crew making the show. I love this episode, Dave. I really loved
0: it. I'm glad to hear that. Um, oh, no. I, I wasn't a huge fan of this one, unfortunately. I thought it, Dang, s- okay. it started really strong. You know, because one of the things that we've seen this show do to very mixed results, in my opinion, is take a lot of the relationships, characters, and interactions from the the game and flesh them out a lot in mm. the show. And um, a lot of them have been for the better. And some of them have been not as good. And this is one that I think was not as good. Uh, and I can go into why a little bit as we get, uh, you know, more as we get into the episode itself. But I mean, l- let me just list off a huge litany of examples of what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, uh, but like episode one, um, Joel and the guy he kills, like in the game, it's just some nobody in the show. It's this guard that he has a previous relationship with Uh, really clever way of like making us more invested in that story. Love that, you know, episode three, Bill and Frank, obviously we've talked about it and how like it, this character who didn't even get a speaking role in the game got a whole backstory and it's beautiful and amazing and, um, captivating and, you know, incredible. Kathleen, I've already made my objections to that storyline clear. Um, but that's one where I thought they missed, you know, um, Henry and Sam. Uh, I thought they did a, you know, OK job with that. You know, like they, they tried to make more stakes for why they're doing what they're doing in, in the show. And I I thought it was OK. Anyway, so basically there's many examples of them being being like, uh, oh, and also finally the the Joel and Tommy relationship in the show is much better fleshed out in the show than in the game. And so that's a great that that one was beautiful, I love that so so what I'm trying to say is the show has done this many times where it's taken something from the game and like added a lot more to it, and some of the times I'm like, that's amazing, great job show and sometimes I'm like, uh like I know what you're going for, but it didn't quite work for me. This is one of the times where it didn't quite work for me unfortunately so um was much more mixed on this episode than you, uh but it does have some amazing stuff in it, some great uh, genre filmmaking, some great, like horror filmmaking in, in the, uh, or thriller filmmaking in this episode. Um, so I, I I wouldn't say like, I disliked the episode or it was bad. Uh, but I was just like, Oh, I didn't love it. There was some stuff that I was kind of like, mm, like not feeling great about this. So let's talk about it. Let's get into the episode and talk about our specific thoughts on the plot. But before we do that, I do want to mention that this episode of decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan LEAF owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows you don't get an EV for just the E. You get an EV because it makes you feel electric, because it sparks your imagination. It ignites something within you. It pins you to your seat. It takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs, like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design, that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways life can electrify you. And I do have to say, like some of the sequences in this episode, I found to be quite electrifying. When those people are like hunting for Ellie and Joel, uh, it's like very horrifying, very frightening. Um, And it is something that gets me to the edge of my seat and my heart pounding. And uh, it gets me really excited to see how it's going to resolve. And some of those feelings, the positive ones I just mentioned, (laughs) are the ones that you might feel if you're driving a Nissan EV. So I am really grateful to Nissan for sponsoring this podcast. Nissan EVs that electrify. All right, Chris Spicer. Let's get into the episode, as I mentioned. uh, Last of Us Season 1, Episode 8 when we are in need, the episode opens with a, uh, uh, preacher. By the, by the way, I, I want to remark that, um, <laughs> that in the show, when people believe in like certain ideologies, they like writing them and putting them on walls high up. Um, can't can't help but but observe that between him and the fireflies.
1: Well, um, they don't have you know smartphones or computers to save it on. Right on that right. note, this is, I,
0: they, they got to do murals, ab- and in this case, yeah. I guess a, a blanket that he wrote it on. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Total aside, <laughs> and I won't do this because I'm not on TikTok. But I thought it'd be a fun TikTok type character to do to be the artistic director of the Firefly logo. Yes, yes. And like you know, I wanted something. <laughs> I took inspiration from the United States government, the the, the eagle, but. I needed to. Mo- I needed to be recognizable. I needed it to look good when the paint was dripping because I know it's going to be sprayed quickly. And it needed to be. And I, you know, yeah, again, yes. total silly, oh, goofy is, stuff. Yeah, but that's, like-
0: that, that's a good TikTok. I'll, I'm going to steal that. Please do, that, right? yes,
1: yes, yes. The artistic uh, designer of I was, the Firefly I, I wanted it to
0: be kind of like a handwriting look, like very Comic Sans inspired. Um, anyway. <laughs> this
1: is the best spray paint for uh, spraying your uh, faction's logo on a sheet. Um, here's the artistic swipe for the <laughs>
0: – Indeed. Well, the preacher is David. We learn his name later. And he's reading from Revelation 21, which, by the way, I'm say, I am say this unironically As somebody who grew up in the church, Revelation 21 is a banger, okay? Like, that is a good one. And he, like, it is a powerful passage. He's reading it. He's obviously got everyone in the palm of his hand. Overcoming,
1: Uh, moving forward, why to believe. mm -hmm. It's like a greatest hits track, right? It's It's it's, like all the things.
0: It's it's like um, the equivalent of uh, Free Bird during the encore. (laughs) You know, this is the one you bring out to, like, really rope them in at the end yeah <laughs> um and so anyway there's a teenage girl who's crying while listening david goes to her and she asks when they can bury um uh her dad and david says the ground is too cold right now they'll bury her dad in the spring a lot of questions here christian it's like huh why is she you know why is he not want to bury the dead now i'm sure they could figure something out you know it's not that like is it really that cold and um what who is her dad why is he dead you know like all these questions that are going to be answered during the course of the episode and juxtaposed
1: immediately by the next interaction right like that mm -hmm. when are we going to bury him cut to james and david talking about rations and it's like
0: okay uh james uh as we know is played by troy baker who is troy baker christian spicer
1: Troy Baker is Joel from the video game, both the voice and action capture performance of Joel from the video game, and someone you can hear talk about his role as Joel in the video game on the official The Last of Us podcast, hosted by me, Mm. uh, Mr. Dave Chen. Never heard of it. That's who Troy Baker is. Yeah. Never heard of it. Um, (laughs) He's prolific. If you've played a video game, you've probably heard Troy Baker's voice.
0: It's pretty cool because Troy Baker, like, helped to, not even helped, you know, like, was essential to the creation of the character of Joel. And so obviously a legend in, in the video game world. And it's cool that he got to have like a pretty significant role here, like a pretty awesome role and kill in, in this episode. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, James, who's played by Troy Baker talks to David about how much food they have left, maybe a week or two with the whole town on rations. Um, and then David asks James if he's lo- is losing his faith and, Um, wants to know if James is still with him. And uh, James says he is. And then David tells him to get guns because they're going hunting. We cut to Ellie and Joel. Ellie's trying to take care of Joel. He's not doing too well. She's trying to give him water and some food. She sees his gear and gun and tells Joel she's going to be right back. So she goes out hunting uh, with the hunting rifle. She sees a rabbit. She goes after it, but it runs away. And then she sees a buck. She sets up to shoot it. She hits it. Amazing moment uh but it still runs away and Ellie gives chase have you seen the uh show alive or actually no no sorry not alive um on netflix there's a survival reality show called alone mm, no uh, i have used, not used to air on the history channel and uh it is now on netflix or certain seasons of it are on netflix and it's an incredible show. Basically, the premise of the show is we're going to ship these people out into the middle of nowhere, and whoever survives to a hundred days—the the season I saw was like whoever survives to a hundred days um, gets a million dollars—or it was it was something along those lines, right? And uh, one, of the, one of the hardest parts, like there's many difficult parts to surviving, but one of the hardest parts is getting enough food to mm-hmm. live. Uh, many of them trap like squirrels and eat squirrels, and try to they try to like spearfish and stuff like that. But when one of the people, the contestants finds a buck, that is a huge deal. Like it is, oh, this can feed you for like a week. It's like, it has enough fat and muscle and whatever to like give you the nutrients you need. Um, so anyway, I, I was very elated when Ellie hit that, you know, shot that buck. It was pretty cool. Uh, Anyway, cut to uh david and james they come across the buck that ellie shot and they try to take it uh i love the conversation they have. they're like well the person who shot this is probably going to be here soon." so like the buck can theoretically like run away you know it can run like half a mile away or whatever and then it just died there on the ground and david and james are like oh well the guy the, the person who did this is probably going to want to come after this let's gtfo as quickly as possible of course then ellie uh comes upon the situation uh, and she tries to act tough. I, I actually thought this performance was really interesting because uh, I thought that Bella Ramsey was talking differently than she does in the rest of the show. Uh, from my perspective, she's doing like an Elizabeth Holmes impression, trying to like come off as more tough uh, than she usually does in the rest of the show. And I, I thought it was a very uh, effective performance. Uh, they talk about how they need the deer because they come from this town. And uh, do you want to trade for the deer? And talk about have, splitting
1: it. She can't carry it all. You know, there's so much there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and they have they stuff have like, that she they have hates. stuff
0: like medicine for infections. Um, so Ellie tells James to get the medicine and she'll stay there with David and David tells him to go. Um, we had a commenter last week at DecodingTV.com Talk about how something that this show does is it invokes tropes. Um, from these kinds of TV shows and films while acknowledging it. And at the time I was, uh, it was difficult for me to think of too many examples from the show, but this is a great example. I love this scene where he says, Hey, get two, two vials of penicillin and a syringe. I'm not talking in code. Do what I'm saying. And th- that was just an awesome moment because that's what you expect in that moment is for the character to be like, you know, get the w- weapon and X in for- the, Yeah, yeah. And don't <laughs>
1: forget to get the tape.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the guys like the ten. Oh yeah. AKA five guys coming with me to like gun yeah. you down, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I thought that was a really nice moment. So uh like acknowledging, like, hey, I know you, the audience, are gonna think I'm talking in code. I'm not Troy Baker, go get this shit. So David suggests them taking shelter while they wait for James to come back and they start a fire. And David tries to start a conversation with Ellie. Um, talks about how he became a man of faith after the apocalypse happened. Uh, And he was in the Pittsburgh QZ, which fell in 2017. That's when he left with his flock. Um, They moved when radio show showed up and eventually ended up where they are now. And great moment in the show also happens in the game. When he talks about how he sent four of their people to a nearby town to scavenge what they could because the winter has been a tough one for them. And only three of them came back. The one that died uh, was a crazy man and he was traveling with a no, little was girl. killed. was
1: killed by a crazy man. Oh, sorry, the, one, yeah, the one that yeah. died
0: was killed by a crazy man. And and we also learned that the one that died is like the father of the girl that we saw earlier in the episode. Um, but yes, the one that, that died was killed by a crazy man and he's traveling with a little girl. And that's when Ellie realizes that this guy kind of knows who she is and theoretically has great reason to want to kill both her and Joel. And that's when James shows up again. Uh, and david tells james to give ellie the medicine lower his gun he offers to protect ellie but ellie takes the medicine and runs away and james can't believe david's just gonna let her get away all right christian uh iconic scene from the game really awesome scene from the- some of the dialogue of which is recreated straight from the game but i'm curious how you thought it played out in the show
1: i thought it was great I, as you mentioned uh you know ellie's voice it's like this put on of uh tougher, more assured, confident, um, you know, person than I think you see here otherwise. And I, I, I I thought, um, David's did a good job seeming. I mean, I know the episode, so my mind is poisoned by, by what David is by the end of the episode. And if you're listening to this, you also know who David is, but I think he comes across very genuine. And I think you know, depending on your view on organized religion, you might be put off or you might be drawn in, but he it's not like overly culty. They kind of acknowledge that as well. Ellie's like, it's like a cult. And he's like, well, you know, it is religion. Again, I think kind of winking at an audience. It's like, it's not this. You might think it's that, but I'm i am just a guy and I'm doing this thing and I'm trying to help my people. And he hasn't killed her. Um, and you, you've seen moments like this before with Henry and Sam where it's like, okay, great you know, we're, we're trusting each other now and how awkward that must be. And here's someone that, you know, you'd think could find a way to overpower Ellie perhaps kick up fire sparks or something. You know what I mean? Like there's all these moments of them putting trust in each other. And I think it's played pretty straight. I, I I don't think you know what's going to happen in that moment until James comes around the corner. And then when he tells James to let her go, um, it's fascinating. Like, is this a man of faith and forgiveness? and just going to let it happen? Or is there, is there more than what we know? Um, I thought it was played really well.
0: I agree. And I thought the episode, like I said earlier, I thought it opened really strongly. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I know what the David storyline is from the game. And I'm like, Oh, there, this is way more backstory than David got in the game. Right. So they're like uh, telling us more about this character, why he's doing the things he's doing. I'm like, Oh, this is pretty, pretty interesting approach. I don't uh, recall him being explicitly, religious or Christian in the game. Is that, am I misremembering or do you recall? Let's save game stuff for game. Okay. Stuff. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um,
1: I, I'm going to say something that's too far. Or I won't say something that's enough. And so it's in these main episodes, consider this a commercial for being a paid. Yeah, member a paid I don't want to say accounting. not enough and have people be like, how did you not know? And yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. say too much. And people yeah. go, I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No. So that's, that's, that's fair. And I, I do want to mention by the way um, that, Uh, I've really been enjoying doing the paid uh, subscriber episodes with Christian Spicer over on the DecodingTV.com premium feed. Um, And I do want to call – I should have mentioned this at the top, but Christian and I have one episode left of this uh, show after this. uh, And there will be an additional – Bonus episode that will be released on the main feed for everyone after that as well, uh, where we kind of talk about the reactions to the episode and maybe bring in some game spoilers for that. So, look forward to it. So, if you're on the main feed at podcast.com, you can look forward to at least two more episodes from me and Christian. Um, but yes, Christian, you're right. I'm wrong to tempt you with the f- um, forbidden <laughs> fruit of game knowledge here on the main podcast. Um, I was like, oh, okay. So, watching the show, I'm like, this is really interesting how they're giving David this backstory and he's religious and he has all these motivations. Um, And and in the game, he's very much like cartoonishly evil in my opinion. And then the show kind of ends up being cartoonishly evil, like a a version of David as well. So like this more nuanced, subtle version of David, the character of David, I thought um, was interesting, was good. The scene was well done. I thought, and then like by the end, it's just, you know, mask off, like this guy's a lunatic. And, you know, some people might like that, you know, that, that that's clearly what the show's trying to do. But for me, um, I thought it was most, in- the character of David in the show is most interesting when it is subtle and nuanced, when it is like, this guy is full of self-delusion and thinks he's doing the right thing. Um, as opposed to just like being a, cartoonish evil bad guy which i felt like he had regressed to by the end of the episode um, so that's kind of my main complaint but i love this scene it's awesome ellie and joel are back at the house ellie injects joel with penicillin in his wound he's healing up um, and then we cut to david's group in the kitchen someone walks in they're bringing in these meat uh they're like what is this meat it's venison okay then David and James come back with a buck. So whatever they're eating wasn't the thing that David and James killed. I loved that like 180 because you see that they have a,
1: you know, they're, here's what we know, right? We know they're running low on food. Yeah. Then we know they have a buck. Then we're told that this meat is buck, is deer, venison. And then we're shown it's not the one we thought it was. Like, oh, that is like a horror thriller moment of like yeah little roller coaster. That was great.
0: So then David addresses the group about, you know, she, she explains, he explains like they found Ellie and Joel, they're going to track her down. Um, and then Alec, who is the guy that was killed by Joel, this is the guy that Joel like strangled to death last episode, right?
1: Yeah, who stabbed um, him with the bat. Or two,
0: two yeah. episodes ago, two episodes ago, who stagged him with the, with the, the bat handle. Um Alex's daughter says they should kill both Joel and Ellie. David walks over to her and backhands her hard. He then offers to help her back up and he tells her that she will always have a father and she will show him respect when he is speaking. Um so he's kind of saying he is her father in some ways now. A uh, very cult-like behavior, you know. Then there's a montage of everyone eating the meat in like a very grotesque fashion, I think. Uh and I mean we later learn that the meat is human meat um so it feels like the show is trying to say there's something about eating other human even if you don't know about it there's something about the act of eating human meat that is like trans like not only transgressive but will transform you in some way that's kind of what i thought about the cinematic language of this scene I didn't Um, get that. I just
1: got that. It was trying to hint at the audience that something was going on. Like anytime there's like, you hear the clinking and like eating mm -hmm. is gross in my, like I love Mm -hmm. eating. I like going out to dinner with friends, but eating is gross. Like in a quiet room. And it's just, you're just like, like it's gross. It's a gross thing. And I think this scene kind of highlighted that, but I also loved the way they showed like David got this big heaping plate and you have to assume he knows And he was just like, giddy up, you know, no, no qualms about it there while other people maybe had reservations. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really made out to look like a really terrible horror film of what they're eating. And obviously we found out that it is very horrifying. Next morning, Ellie checks in on Joel. She injects him with more medicine and she's like outside collecting snow, um, from around the house, which presumably they're going to melt and drink the water of, um, she then gives it to she, the horse. She gives like a yeah, bucket yeah, yeah. of it to the horse. Yeah. There you go. Um, she sees some of David and David's men walking into the neighborhood and David wants them to bring Ellie back with them. Um, James doesn't want to bring Ellie back because she's, she's just going to be just another mouth to feed. And David says she'll die if they leave her out here. And James says, maybe that's God's will. And David stops and uh, it almost felt to me like he could have killed James right then and there. Like I literally thought James might die right there but David is very unhappy with James's suggestion that they leave Ellie behind. So anyway, Ellie runs back to Joel, tries to wake him up. She puts a knife in his hands and tells him what's happening and says, if anyone gets to the basement, he needs to kill them. Uh, Ellie then leaves and rides off on the horse and James shoots Ellie's horse. This is an incredible sequence. I thought like where they're all like kind of running after Ellie's like shooting at them while riding back away on horseback and, uh, trying to draw um, him
1: away from Joel. Trying to draw him, him away from, him
0: from Joel. And then like, uh, and then James shooting Ellie and like the way, like the horse goes down and then Ellie goes down. It's just like, I thought it looked awesome. I was just like, this is incredible. Well done sequence. Um, and then David arrives and picks up Ellie and says, Hey, some of you grab the horse. Cause they're probably going to eat that. And then the others uh, go look for Joel. Um. Before we get to what happens to the people that look for Joel, any other thoughts on, on this whole action sequence? No, I also thought it was great. It was one of the ones where I needed to see the
1: thing at the end of the episode that says, like, no animals were harmed in the making of this. Episode. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. fast and dramatic and not 12 million shots to show this moment of action. I thought it was really well done.
0: Agreed. So then uh, the the plot kind of splinters off in two directions, right? Um why don't we talk about the Joel stuff first? Cause that's going to be pretty easy to discuss. Um, so Joel's laying in his, his bed listening and he's, he's doing way better than when we saw him in earlier scenes, by the way, <laughs> he's that penicillin really did the trick. Um, so Joel, one of the guys like is walking down the stairs and Joel jumps out behind the person, stabs him in the neck, killing him. The show really lingers on this kill, by the way. Uh, I thought it was interesting. And then uh we see another person hunting joel down um joel pops up and hit this other hits this other guy in the head with the butt of a gun and then he's like tied them both up and he's beating one of them because he's trying to figure out where they've taken alley now here's where kind of my problems with the episode really begin because there is this scene where uh Joel is like torturing this guy. He like stabs this guy in the leg and he's like, I'm gonna pop your kneecap out and you know, point to where it it is in the map, and like it better be the same place as the other guy uh where the other guy said. And then he like murders both of them is what he like kills both of them in cold blood. Uh and it's like a brutal, brutal scene. Um I felt really weird about this scene, Christian, because I'll just describe my own experience. And if people have a different experience it's fine, but like in the game playing as Joel, at this point in the game, The Last of Us, you as Joel have killed hundreds of humans and infected, right? And when this moment happens, it's kind of like a really badass moment, right? Because um you know these guys are fucking evil. Um you, they they're like like I, I I believe at this point, or it's it's either right before or after this, you already know that there are like cannibals, and um, and you've been playing as Joel for most of the game, and so when he does this, when he like kills him, it's like oh yeah, like this is like badass revenge that Joel is getting on these guys, and it feels like such a badass, you know, like it's amazing because the, the game is extremely violent. Um, watching it in the show play out, I felt like this was a different the character of Joel in the show feels quite different to me at this point than the character of Joel did in the game. And this kind of gleeful, wanton violence felt to Mm -hmm. me quite out of character for this version of Joel. Now that's me. Maybe I'm going to get like 50 emails disagreeing, but I am curious, you know, did that, did it come across as weirdly out of character for this version of Joel at all for you? Is it just all in my head, Christian?
1: Well, I don't know if it's all in your head, but I did not read it the same way you did. I didn't read it as gleeful, certainly. And I liked I liked it because we saw a version of this um, – oh, man, what episode was it? Where they, they come across the shack in the middle of the wilderness before, in, in Wyoming, and there's the old woman and the man there. And he does the same thing, the same map trick. You know, you better – tell me where it is. And it better be the same thing as what she said. And he's like, did you tell him the truth? And the wife's like, I did. Okay. (laughs) And it was, you know, there, Mm -hmm. they had this trust in this relationship and he, he doesn't do it. And and then here he asks the guy and he points and then he goes he kills him anyway, and then he goes to the other guy and he's like, Wait, 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 no, 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 no. And he's like, Oh no, I I I believe I, him.
0: I trust I trust that guy that I just killed, basically. Yeah, right? I trusted
1: yeah. him. And then he picks up a pipe, which is also like a an object used a lot in the game as a, a blunt object and bludgeons this other person. And I think for so much of this show, Dave, we've heard that Joel is a bad man. Yeah. We have been told repeatedly that not only is he a bad man, he might be the worst of the worst, or was at one point. And at one point that created conflict between him and his own brother who told him, you you know, it still gives him nightmares or whatever that line was that that Tommy had about the things that, that they did. And that became a, a flashpoint for Joel. Like that was both of us. We both did that. And Tommy tried to grow and move away from it. And things we know about Tommy that maybe I'm letting color my view a little bit is like, Tommy's a war veteran. You had to have assumed that he saw some stuff that was bad uh, in society before the fall. And then the stuff that he and Joel did is arguably worse than that. And then now we're seeing Joel as this, this bad man because he has something he cares about again. You know, there's the three months of time that we didn't see Joel and Ellie where you assume they're just, they were on, or I assume they're on their adventure and they're bonding and they're having more of those campfire moments and those chit chats and getting close. And now we've seen Ellie nurture him back to health and put her her life on the line for him. And I think the turning point for Joel for the, this emotional connection was really leaving um, Tommy's place and, and leaving Jackson where, you know, he comes, I'm going to take you, I'm going to do this. And I think you're, there's, there's love there, right? Like he, he has a true bond and love with this girl now. And now he's about to lose that again. And he's super afraid and he gives zero Fs about anything. And he's going to be that bad, bad man. And so, to me, that character arc worked for Joel in that moment where he does not give a crap about these people. He does, and I, I like that the show shown you that these people are also probably parents. And I think that the girl's name was Hannah. Like, Hannah seemed like a nice kid, also, right? Like, whose dad is now taken away from her. Now, these other two people are are, are just murdered in in cold blood. Like, I don't think it's good. You know, Joel's actions are like good and like what we should aspire to be as people. But I think for his character in the show, it totally worked for me. And I, I don't think it was gleeful. I think it was vengeful. I think that okay, was out okay. of hate.
0: You know, I'm being too strong with gleeful. But like in the times that we've seen Joel kill on the show, um, it has – he has felt extremely tortured about it, right? Like – Well, I don't um, know.
1: What about in, in – uh, sorry to interrupt. In Kansas City, I don't think he was tortured by it. He sure, was tortured okay. that he didn't kill – brian um because he wasn't able to but he he killed two of those people right pretty lickety split
0: okay let me let me call out some examples okay um episode one he murders that guard he looks at his hands they're full of blood what have i done um there is the uh the guy he like shoots that um old man who's like at the sniper rifle in episode five i think and he's like don't make me do it don't make me do it you know like um and, uh, when he and Ellie, I think Kansas city episode one, when he and Ellie, which is a uh, episode four of the show, I think when, um, he has to murder that guy that's begging for his life, you know? Yes. He's mostly bothered that Ellie is there, but he does seem to me also somewhat remorseful that he has to kill that guy at all.
1: Um, hmm.
0: I didn't get that read for
1: that. And okay. I think for okay, episode well, one, he's upset because he doesn't care yet.
0: Hmm. Okay. Like he, he Anyway, yeah, but yeah, I so think I, it's fascinating. I, I, get what I get what you're saying. I think what you're saying is like he's made this transformation now where like the, this like father instinct in his in in him has been activated, which is basically the same as flipping the beast mode switch on in him. It's mother's and,
1: rage in Mitchell's versus the machines. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um,
0: and I guess I can I guess I can buy that, but like Uh, you know all the stuff about him like being regretful about killing other people earlier in the show that I've, i've tried to provide textual examples of that um that you may or may not you slash the listener may or may not buy but i felt this was giving us like a much more nuanced version of what joel was than what we see in the games which is he's killing hundreds of people because he has to um and then to then see this p- part of Joel where he's like, yeah, like don't worry, I'm fucking killing you anyway, you know, like it just felt so um out of character with what has happened before, um, very much in keeping with the game, but like in a way that felt discordant to me, um, and that and that discordancy would continue kind of throughout the rest of this episode, right? Um, so this is the moment when I was kind of like, what is even h- happening with this character? You know, anyway. Only that was my reaction, but you uh, you obviously had a very different reaction, and that's what's great about this podcast. We both have like different reactions to things. So go ahead.
1: The only other thing I'd, I'd want to hold up here is where the conversation with Joel and Tommy and Jackson, where I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's uh, you know we did horrible things. We did what we needed to do to survive. It, it, Joel, you know, I did what I needed to do to keep us alive, and um, Tommy's like, there are other ways. We could have done other you know, there are other ways to have done it. And and Joel says something like, you know, we did what we know, we did what we do. Um, and I think this is an example of that. There's probably other ways that he could have handled this situation that a person could have handled this situation. But I don't think, you know, badass, angry Joel handles this situation any other way, unfortunately. For the people he murders.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean, I think it's like you know, these po these he has these people dead to rights, they pose no threat to him you know yes they probably if he left them there they probably could have figured out some way of like getting out of their you know restraints or whatever but anyway um uh in, in conclusion i you know obviously we've belabored it quite a bit at this point but uh it worked fine this scene worked totally fine for me in the game it was even invigorating in the game and it didn't work for me it, the exact same sequence of events played out in the show well acted in both the game and the show didn't really work for me in the context of the show um, for reasons that I've already tried to articulate. Okay. Uh, So that's the most of the Joel stuff. Obviously Joel comes into play at the end again, but um, we see Ellie in a cage. She's looking for a way to get out. um, And then she sees something and uh, well, sorry, I I skipped um, one scene where she's in the cage. So she, David's there. And uh, she's put her in the cage and he says Ellie's in the cage because he's afraid of her and the others will want to kill her, but he has stopped them from killing her. He wants to help Ellie and protect her. um, And David implies that Joel is going to die and she needs to trust him or else she will be alone. Um, Later she comes back. Sorry. Later David comes back. She's looking for a way to get out. And sees something and reacts repulsed. David brings her some food, but then we see what Ellie saw, which is a human ear under a butcher block. David says that the food he brought Ellie is just deer meat, though. Don't worry. Trust me on that. Um, and then that's when they admit to eating people. Uh, David admits that he's, he and the, the townspeople are eating people and saying only a few of them know. But he would have told Ellie because he trusts her. It was a last resort. Uh, and asks, what was he supposed to do? He sees himself in Ellie the, the, and um, wants to kind of like, you know, he he's pitching Ellie on like, "Hey, come join me, um, and together we will rule the galaxy together." You um, are my number one guy, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So he, you know, he gives this whole speech, and it is an incredibly creepy speech. And what becomes clear during, the, like, my perception is like he wants Ellie to be his like child bride is kind of my sense from the speech. Um, And it's really, really pretty horrifying. Uh, She obviously rejects his proposal and breaks his finger. And she, he like kind of smashes her face when, you know, she tries to get the keys, fails to do that. There's a big scuffle that ensues, Um, but it's a very creepy scene. Really effectively acted by both people, really upsetting. Christian, any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's
1: very disturbing. And I think we learned later in the episode that David has, uh, been gross, um, with other people likely in his flock over the years. And I, I am curious again, kind of wanting to know the full world a little bit more. Was David being sincere with Ellie? Did he see, honestly see something in her that, you know, is different than any of the other, let's say he is a pedophile, um, or strictly a pedophile, I should say um, that he sees differently than any of the other young women that he's seen that like, he does think Ellie will be an equal. Is there something like, Oh, she's new and different, or is it just, I want to have my way with this young girl. So I'm going to say the things I need to say to, for her to let me do that, but just an absolutely disturbing scene. And I think kind of uh, made me think back to the scene earlier where he's like, when they're in the, the fire seeking shelter. And he's like, I am their leader, but they, they picked me, which I think also to me reminded me of Maria back in Jackson saying, well, I'm one of the people in charge here, but elected. And so you're kind of seeing this idea of who people in these survivor groups put their faith in. And then perhaps what becomes of these groups. Cause so far we've had Maria, we've had Kathleen, and now we have David and kind of who these leaders are. And I guess Marlene to some extent, too, uh, for the Fireflies Um, and what becomes of their groups. And when David shows his true colors, I think in this scene, it is uh, horrifying. And that backhanding of Hannah no longer felt like an isolated incident. And and I think and David's look to James also had more weight for me in this moment, too. It's like, I think some of David's flock has died along the way because of David as much as anything Mm -hmm. else. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think the show is trying to say something about how concentrating power in one person is is often inherently corruptive. You know, we've seen, or in one organization, you know, we've seen like um, two big examples of these kind of figureheads, uh, Kathleen and David, where people trusted them and then they use their powers for ill, right? Um, And in the case of Fedra, I think you know the obviously uh, the the exercise of force by Fedra, um, overwhelmingly, uh, has led to a lot of misery and suffering and death. Um, so, so I do think, you know, that, that is an interesting thing to, uh, to witness. Um, I, uh, I listened to this podcast a long time ago called like, uh, now now I am not comparing what David does to, um, the, between the cannibalism and the child brides, like I'm not comparing what David does to, you know, the um, the crimes of the modern evangelical church, but I was, I listened to this podcast a long time ago called like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, which is about like this mega church that I think was based in Seattle, if I recall correctly. And it's like, um, and, and it's like this story of like how these people in these churches, like get all this power and fame and money. And then they, many of them inevitably end up abusing Um, their position, um, and it happens with much less horrifying results, but still quite upsetting, you know, in today's society. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, there's something inherent about just that kind of power, um, where you can tell people what to believe, you know, you are kind of the channel to God's will, um, that is, is inherently corruptive in many ways. Okay. Anyway. I'm going off on a tangent, Christian. Well, I'll tie it back a little bit. I liked this yeah. moment. And I,
1: I kind of put it in notes here when I was watching it the second time that this felt like a version of Captain Kwong. Um, I think I wrote like, he's trying to Captain Kwong her here, but Ellie is older and wiser of like, look, there's two ways this is going to go. You're going to be sad or alone. Or I'll, we can rule the galaxy together. You know, it wasn't a coffee cup or keys, but it definitely felt like David was trying to present Ellie with this right choice of of two futures for her. And, and whereas, whereas in the Quang
0: Quang situation, she did buy, like she bought into that narrative. Now she has seen enough of the world that she no longer believes in that binary. Right. It it felt that way to me. Yeah. yeah. So then David and James come for Ellie and they're going to, uh, kill her and eat her. I think is what the implication is. Tiny pieces. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's when she confesses that she's infected, and then uh, James is shocked by this, and because of that shock, she's able to get the jump on him and, like, take the cleaver and shove it into his, uh, you know, right into his throat. It's an awesome kill. I thought, like, awesome, great, great kill. And great um,
1: line by him, too, right before, where David's like, I don't know, that doesn't look real, and James is like, that looks pretty freaking real to me! Like, just... Yeah a beautiful real life hesitation again, not a trope of like a, Oh, well let's us debate this as villains for 20 minutes. Like it happens quickly. I loved it.
0: Yeah, it was great. And what a way to bring Troy Baker into the show and then give him like one of the show's best kills, you know? So, yeah. Um, but anyway, David empties a gun clip at Ellie and misses and he's locked. He he reveals that he's locked her inside this restaurant. Um, And kind of this cat and mouse game ensues. Ellie throws a log at him. It catches the curtains on fire. Um, And they kind of have, uh, you know, a tense scene where they, they have a standoff. I thought the way the fire stuff was all done was really awesome. I agree. Um, much of it looked real. It's hard to do real-looking fire because a lot of times they use CG. I paused it several times. Did you? I paused it and like it, it looked practical. It looked
1: really good.
0: A lot of it did. I'm sure there were some sequences that had visual enhancements, oh, but they had to but, have been right. Yeah, but, but it's hard to do fire for you know for real because um you often want to do multiple takes of stuff. And like once you've <laughs> yeah. burned something, it's hard to you know. So they often use CG fire, but. Um, it really does feel like they burned some shit to make this scene. And it looks really <laughs> amazing. And the way it plays out, too, with Ellie, like, accidentally, you know, throwing this thing, and she didn't intend to set the thing on fire. Um, David gets a jump on Ellie. It, it looks like he's about to uh, sexually assault her, is kind of my perception. And that's when uh, Ellie is able to get the jump on him and stab him to death uh, in a really. And- yeah visceral intense scene of her just kind of uh, going wild you know on over his body um really upsetting to watch and um you know this is another part of the thing that kind of bothered because like at this point he's just like full-blown uh comic book villain for me christian like he he has this line about how like you've humiliated me or like you've embarrassed me because I, I offered you this wonderful thing and you rejected it and that was like um that felt like fitting within the character for me of like yes this character's pride would be wounded but then he kind of has this like glee this is glee i would say of like him saying like yes it it actually like turns me on when you like fight against this that i was just kind of like okay like yes that he's a real sick freak for sure but like um Everything else we saw about him was like much more, like the whole backstory with the town and the rations and everything was like so much more nuanced than that. Um, it felt to me like a, just an odd note to end this character on. That was me. Um, Christian, what were your thoughts on this whole sequence? I loved the sequence. As we talked
1: about the fire and the action and the tension and the, the cat and mouse nature of it, it felt real and believable and very heightened in, in, a, in an excellent way, I think, for this episode. My read of David, I think, throughout this episode is, is different than yours in that I think we're kind of shown the image of the man that he wants to portray as this protector and keeper of this town. But now knowing at the end of the episode what we know about him, I think it colors some of the other scenes and how he was acting. Like I mentioned when he backhanded Hannah, no one else in the town seemed to like gasp like they hadn't ever seen that before or no one tried to stop him or say, "What you're out of line. So kind of in retrospect, it's like, oh, this is probably kind of common um, for his behavior. Again, that look to James, none of the other people in the posse said anything or kind of stepped up. And the moment earlier where David says to James, are you still with me? I think you've lost your faith. You know, and, and looking back on it, I don't think he was asking about faith in God. It's like, can, can I count on you? Have you lost your faith in me? Are you dependable to me? And seeing this moment then in the cage where he says something to Ellie along the lines of like, I saw in you what I see in me you have a violent heart. I've always had a violent heart too. Like now I'm creeped out about who he was as a fourth grade teacher. There are, you know, my kids and I talk about what I'm about to say generally that there are bad people in every profession. It does not mean the profession is bad, but you need to be aware that there are bad people in every profession. And I'm starting to think that David was a bad man in an honorable prof- profession, perhaps as a teacher, if he's always had this violent streak, what else did it mean? What else did he do? Um, and so I think in this moment that he is he is full rage. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book, it's called Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. And one of the things that it talks about in it is like how, when we're not used to overcoming um, fear or trauma or things that make us angry, you can spiral. And the book talks about how you can prepare for that and blah, blah, blah. I don't need to talk about the book. Um, but I feel like it it hit home for me that David is in that spiral. You know, like, I think you've seen a toddler have a temper tantrum and now they're upset about something totally unrelated to their Oreo falling on the ground, you know, and I think adults have that too. And I think for me, I read it like David is in full temper tantrum. Mode. The mask is off. He is a comic book villain, but I think people are that in those moments. So the scene read really well for me, and I think um, Bella Ramsey's performance, going to town on him, killing him, also worked. Where there was rage that I think morphed into disgust, uh, kind of reminiscent to how she felt. This is this is a weathered, and I'll, I'll stop after this. Sorry if I'm rambling, but there was. No, a I lo- I,
0: lo- I love hearing your perspective on it.
1: This seems like a weathered dare I say, jaded Ellie going through something similar but much more violent than how she reacted when she shot um, Brian in in uh, Pittsburgh. And I think that those two scenes contrast really interestingly together to who Ellie is and to, and to what she's been through. And I, that's why I think these performances and the scene itself really landed well for me.
0: Yeah, I think that Sorry, remind me about the Brian killing. What was that again?
1: Brian was in Pittsburgh. It was the guy, I
0: think I have his name right,
1: uh a character you learned his name later, but he gets to jump on Joel, um, and he's strangling Joel, and then Ellie comes out from the wall and uh, shoots. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's her and then you see her in the I think they're in a bar and she's kind of shaking and Joel's like, I failed you. You shouldn't have had to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got I need it, to protect you, you, all that stuff. And now you know ellie's uh sorry
0: so so you said pittsburgh. wasn't it kansas city in the show kansas though? city it's sorry yeah, it's pittsburgh like, in the game it's yeah, yeah, yeah. pittsburgh in the like... game that's my fault <laughs> yes
1: kansas city in the show pittsburgh in the game yeah, yeah, um yeah. and um, so i think you see this ellie of uh i loved also that um joel doesn't help her there's no joel to the rescue joel mm-hmm. doesn't kick the door open and snipe david from you know whatever like ellie got out of this on her own and i think that shows her Growth seems like a weird word because this isn't ever something that I want my kids to grow into to be this person, yeah. but her evolution in this world.
0: Yeah, I mean, she is exposed to an evil of much greater magnitude here, right? Yes, and so and and it it evokes a response that is um a, a proportional response to what what. Um, a proportionally larger response to what she, uh, how she reacted when she killed that guy in Kansas City. Um, but I, I just, I guess, I just want to be clear. Like, um, I think he, like David, the character of David, um, flipping out at the end and spiraling. Like, I, I don't have any opposition with with how that was depicted. But it was just like it was more like his line at the end of how he like enjoys, um you know statistically you know assaulting people that i was just like (sighs) um it just it just struck me as like really um i don't know too on the nose i I don't even know if that's like Mm -hmm. the right term to use but it's like i I, the the show didn't need it for us to know that this guy is fucking horrible do you know what i'm saying like i had already got there like this is a one of the worst humans alive um and then the show f- seems to be like piling on to that understanding for me. And, um, and that's a show invention too. Like, that's not, that line is not in the game. So I was like, um, it just was really, uh, that, that's my reaction to it. And you know, people can, uh, I, I, your reaction is also valid. And if you're listening, you know, your reaction is uh, Christian's reaction is also valid. And if you're listening, your reaction is also valid, but like, um didn't didn't love how the david the character of David that storyline ended the very end, but yes love the the part about Ellie reacting and kind of as you said going to town on on killing him like that that made complete sense that fit in with everything that we 've seen um and it's kind of like her reaction to the horrors of this world right in in like the worst that this world can give her like what, what is her reaction gonna be okay there's another scene where she kind of emerges out of the house. Uh, and Joel finds her and kind of tries to comfort her because she's basically in shock. Um, we see him say like, it's okay, baby girl. And he hugs her. We see his broken watch again. He gives her his awesome jacket that we talked about in the last week's episode of the podcast.
1: Which none of our listeners apparently have an in on. Thanks for not noticing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks to the zero <laughs> listeners who emailed <laughs> us at decodingTV at gmail.com to get us those jackets.
1: Now I know um, what we need to go through to get that jacket and I don't think it's worth it. I don't think I want to.
0: <laughs> and that's it. There was an earlier scene where Joel like uh, kind of goes into the town and discovers, you know, dead bodies hanging from the ceiling and stuff like that, which confirms some of the um, stuff that David has been talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, that that is the episode. And uh, any other thoughts on this episode of uh, The Last of Us, Christian Spicer? Just too quickly.
1: One, I thought that baby girl line with us seeing his broken watch um, is is wrecks me emotionally. I think it kind of cements that um, emotional leap or journey that Joel's been on and, and how he views Ellie now. And I thought it was really well played. And I thought it was really well performed by by pedro there at the end and then i, I think this is cl- clear but just to say it when i say i really loved this episode or i really enjoyed it i i, I don't mean like it's saturday what do we want to do today let's cozy up and watch this trauma i'm not, <laughs> you know it's not like play that song i love again everybody like i thought it was a compelling episode of television i think it's very traumatizing i think it's hard to watch I think David is grotesque. So I think that's clear when we talk about this type of show, but I'm not it's not uh you know Fast X or Jason Jason in Space where it's like yeah, love it, let's do it again. I I think this is a very difficult episode of television to watch, but I think it's well performed and I think it's important in, you know, the grand scheme of things for how they're telling this story.
0: Hopefully that's clear. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I don't think. Don't worry, Christian. I don't think anyone's going to think like, "Oh, Christian loves fucking There's- horrifying things." You know, that's that's my reputation in general. By the way, on on like the film cast. So like, you don't need. I don't think you need to worry about that. Um, but yeah, I I just thought the the character of David in the show, um, a real mix bag for me. You know, love the religion stuff. Like, I thought that's a, like, oh, what a cool way of kind of explaining what david's megal- how david's megalomania might have emerged and it's mm. because he's also a preacher like that very cool um but then by the end but then by the end he's so evil you know like he's into child brides and like takes pleasure in sexually assaulting them and I just like okay like you know um the show has tried to expand on these characters by showing them doing nice things and horrifying things. Um, and sometimes I don't feel like it strikes the right balance.
1: Um,
0: mm. uh, and Kathleen was one of those times. And this is another one of those times where I'm like, I don't didn't, didn't quite work for me. And plus the Joel, you know, how Joel's storyline plays out this episode with like just in cold blood murdering those dudes, um, comparing to what we've seen from Joel, the rest of the episode or the rest of the series. um, Mix back for me this one. Mix back for me this one. So thank you for letting me share my opinions on this year' podcast, Christian Spicer, Decoding TV, which you can find more episodes of at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of the episode at decodingtv at gmail.com. Is David Chen wrong? Probably. Who's um, worse,
1: David or David Chen? No, just
0: kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Whose I think takes are
1: worse, David and pa- the show? Pastor
0: David or David Chen? <laughs> I mean, I think that... Um, I I will say that, uh, like, if I am trying to provide an interpretation of the show's politics that's based on bad evidence, like I was last week with Fedra, that's one thing. But I am just, much of this episode, podcast, of the podcast, I'm just describing my personal reaction to how it took place. And if you had a different personal reaction, I'd love to hear it. But, you know, everyone's personal reaction is pretty, uh, pretty valid, in my opinion, you know, unless you're like literally... (laughs) uh you know <laughs> unless there's like empirically different things you know uh, this episode was about a bunch of unicorns that were in space you know it's like okay that's not right it's about know, animal like, abuse we yeah. see them shoot a
1: horse we see them chase a rabbit that's all this show's trying to say mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> you
0: know like there's some views that are like just so wildly off but like in general you know people are entitled to their own reaction and, and i've just tried to share mine i appreciate you christian and everyone listening uh for hearing it um but until next time christian spicer you know i, I want to remind people we have one episode uh recap episode next week that's going to be the season finale and then christian and i will do an additional bonus episode um and then D- decoding tv is going to be covering succession as well so you can keep it tuned in here for more tv greatness um but yeah until then christian spicer where could people have more of your work on the internet Three things quickly, if you want to hear about the latest video game news
1: and and what uh, Jeff Canada, who you might know from the film cast, and what we are playing, you can find that at DLC, wherever you get your podcasts of choice with this. If you're watching the video version, I got a custom hat made of our incredible logo made by the incredible Corey Schmitz. I have a newsletter where I write long form about games that you can find at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. And then I wrote a graphic novel called Consequences, That is uh, violent. It's about a a, um, woman trying to escape her past and finding that it's harder to do.
0: If you like Joel's arc in this episode, you're going to love Christian's graphic novel. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. She's
1: she's put in a situation where violence is her – she perceives as her only way out. And you can find that at my website. If you go to christianspicer.com and then click on the store, you can find the link to the graphic novel there.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you, Christian, for joining me today on this episode of Decoding TV. We'll see you next week.